Hey everybody, it's Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases, and I am so, so excited that we have been chosen for the Target Circle Nonprofit Partner Program. Now, this is how it works. If you are in Jacksonville, Florida, if you're in Sarasota or Fort Myers, if you're in Tampa, by the way, I was just in Tampa giving a talk. If you are in Long Island, New York, hey, my friends at Briggs and Riley, you're located there. Spread the word. And also Eastern Texas. You have the opportunity to go in and vote for comfort cases. That's exactly right. Vote. You can vote more than once. We really, really need the votes. The votes are actually ending on September the 30th, so we have lots of time. You're going to get lots of videos from me, but please do me a favor. Go in and vote for Comfort Cases. We really could use the support for Target, and the only way that's going to happen is with all of you. You've done this before. Remember back in the day at DSW where we were awarded $75,000 because of the amazing votes that you all did? Well, we need your votes again, so please go to comfortcases.org. You can get all the information right there on our homepage. And once again, thank you for all the love and support. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases, and we are still doing the best of. You know, it is so hard to believe that we are actually halfway through the month of August. This summer has just flown by. You know, we are getting ready to start taping for season um, five. You know, I keep reminding everybody that it might be my last season, but, you know, I've been listening to the best of, and it's just like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm going to do this one more year. You know, my next best of, I am so, so lucky that I get to call her my friend. You know, April Denwoody, she has actually been on the show before. She is the executive director of Transracial Journeys, which by the way, as a father of four kids of color, she has helped me in so, so many ways. Also, you definitely need to check out her podcast. Her podcast is born in June, raised in April, what adoption can teach the world. And by the way, we need to teach the world a lot. So I hope you enjoyed this best of as much as I did. And by the way, I know on season five, I'm going to have April back because her and I just have some amazing conversations. So everyone enjoy. It is hard to believe that we are actually coming towards the end of National Foster Care Awareness Month. You know, for me and for my next guest, foster care is something that we think about on a daily basis. It's not just one month for us. You know, if you as the public want to shout a month out, you know, every time I turn around, you're given a day to chocolate and a day to this and stuff, and you want to give us a month, that's fine. But for us, it's it's our life. And it's what we breathe. It's what we eat. It's what we sleep. It's what we try to do to make sure that we educate our public about truly what's going on within our system. You know, I am so lucky to call our next guest, my friend. From the moment I met her, I knew that we would be friends for life. Whether we haven't spoken in months or whether we see each other, we are friends. So without further ado, April, welcome to Fostering Change again. Thank you. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. And yes, lifelong connections have been made. Yes, yes. So April, you know, the month is coming to an end, you know, once again, you and I have been through this so many times, everybody, you know, every news clip wants to talk about it, everybody wants to talk about it. But you know, as well as I do come June 1st, it's all of a sudden, it's like lights out. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you see that as well? I do. I, I think it's a delicate balance, because while we want to have moral light shining on key issues with the the you know the months that honor 
what whatever it may be, mental health, um, foster care, adoption. We know that these things happen all year. So I welcome a brighter light being shined during a month, but I do struggle when that month ends. How long is that energy going to last? And what else do we do to make sure that it's not just a one and done, that there's this constant effort paid for the youth in care today? Yeah, no, I agree with you so much. And you know, the fact is, is I've been keeping this a secret and I want to tell you this, and I've been waiting to talk to you about this, but the last time that you and I were together and we were on Fostering Change, you really said so many things that opened my mind. And as a father who is raising, you know, four kids of color and now having my fifth child and knowing about how you've talked about, you know, people's life books and about how it... I went home and I talked to Reese and we actually reached out to our two of our kids um, birth mother and to a point where now we talk regularly and now they've come to our house and spent the night with her and my other kids siblings. Now we have hit amusement parks together and that I just have to tell you that would have never happened if you had not walked into my life. You know, and so I just want to say thank you, my daughter, my son, you know, it, it's, it's just been, it's just been this incredible journey. Yeah. Well, these months that intersect to these moments, it's foster care month. It's also mother's day, you know, and as you think about these extended family relationships that we, we want to honor, we want to build on behalf of children. It's, it's important to to lean into them, to figure out the ebbs and flows, to not take things too personally, to hopefully make way for what can be a, a full-on family right. extension through the, the families that your children are born to and are separated from. It's just a, such an important piece of this work. And when you think about the bigger elements that are at play, it is somewhat overwhelming, but when you boil it down to its simple form, it is about relationships. It's about honoring the truth. And it's about recognizing the factors that get in the way of that, that high level of, of care for children. Yeah. And I also think that it has a lot to do with forgiveness, you know, and for me, it was that moment you know, of the forgiveness part of it, and then moving on. And I think a lot of times what happens is, especially adopted parents, we get very insecure. If we think about all of a sudden, what do you mean my, my child's got, you know, these other, you know, birth parents who, you know, am I going to get less love or, you know, and I will have to tell you, I, I doubled up on my therapy. I did. I doubled for my therapy, um, but I got through it and so did my husband and so did our other kids. And what I saw was I saw a more confident daughter. And by the way, it all happened during that Mother's Day moment for us because that was so important because Mother's Day, you know, at the end of the day, my kids have two dads, but they have birth mothers and they have birth siblings, by the way. And I think it's very, very important that we as adoptive parents, we support that. Do you feel that you, you know, because I know your story and our listeners, you know, you know, guys, you can always visit, you know, juneandapril.com and, and hear April's story. But do you feel that, you know, you've had that support as well? No, not exactly. I mean, I feel like my my story is slightly, slightly, you know, 
all of our stories and our experiences are, are different and nuanced, but they all also sometimes tether to these bigger concepts. It was like I was completely detached uh, from my family of origin and there was no interest in or exploration of those people that were part of me. And I did it on my own. I did it myself. My parents didn't hold me back from that. They didn't walk with me. And for me, I often think that what you just described is a way that parents have to lead the way. We we think about this big relationship work, and I've never known another circumstance where a child or a youth or a young person, especially those that have had challenges that enter into their world early, are asked to do this complicated relationship work. There's not another situation where we sort of say, oh, do you wanna see your birth mother? Do you want, oh, just go ahead and do that on your own. We can't let children lead that way. We as a grownups have to lead the way. We absolutely have to do that and model what it looks like to have healthy barriers and boundaries and, and also an expansive heart of love. So if grownups aren't doing that for children and youth, it's not if it's when it's gonna get highly complicated for that young person that you love and, you know, buckle up. Yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that, you know, as an adopted parent, it's a failure for me if I'm not the one leading the way. Reese and I are not the one leading the way and holding their hand along the way. I'll never forget when my, my, one of my children located their birth father and really wanted that relationship. And, you know, and, I'd been their dad since they were knee high to a grasshopper. And so, but what we said was, listen, we are here for you. We, we supported it. We got together. It turned out not to go the way that my child thought it was going to go. And it was heartbreaking for me because, you know, to see my child cry and to, you know, because it was this whole, you know, it's going to be this great person who's going to love me and who's going to instead it just it was a lot of opposite of that. And, and, you know, I think that we have to prepare for the good and for the bad. Well, you're making a solid, solid point in life. I mean, first of all, it's the both end of life. Second of all, we know, given what we have studied about adoption and foster care and, and family separation, that there will be additional challenges with these important relationships because of the trauma, the grief, the loss that everybody comes to the table with. There will be times when everybody's all in and holding hands and, and, and having a great time. And there'll be times when the pain and the separation and the trauma is just too much that either a family of origin, a parent of origin can't engage also mental health issues, also substance, also all the things that are often part of family separation have to be factors that we think about all in service of a healthy identity development of the child and the youth. So we can't paint this rosy picture. We can't completely disengage. We can't control everything. But as grownups and as parents who are invested in, in showing that it is both and, and they can indeed love two parents at the same time and two sets of parents and one that doesn't live with you and one that does, I've seen it work. You've seen, you know, divorce and remarriage. You've seen people who are loved like family. There are examples of the way that these relationships can work in other ways. We just somehow get it all twisted up in adoption and foster care. And it need not be. It need not be because we can do things that are difficult and make relationships when we have a North Star of keeping that child healthy and whole. 
Yeah. You know, April, I get a lot of backlash because one of the things that I always say is that I don't believe that foster care is the answer. I truly believe when we look at statistics of 64% of kids who come into the system is because of the word neglect. And I feel that that is no more than poverty that by bringing children into a shattered system, we are creating even more trauma than the trauma that they are experiencing within the home. And I've always tried to wonder why that we 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 take these kids and oh we come we're gonna save them um and we put them with strangers we pay a stranger but why can why I mean just why is a society that we've already seen that this doesn't work this isn't healthy for the child why can't we give these families a lift up and maybe bring somebody into the home to stabilize the home. You know, maybe, you know, the, the mom needs a break. Maybe, you know, she she just needs that encouragement to say, you can do this. Or maybe she, they need help with daycare. You know, I mean, I just read a story just recently where a, a mother had her kids taken away because she left her her 12-year-old, she left her, her, her five-year-old with her 12-year-old because she had to go to work and she couldn't afford daycare, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was neglect. But what look what we do it's so troubling but also very clear to me this country was created it's like rugged individualism right me and mine right there are indigenous communities there are communities that are created or have been created since the dawn of time that just collectively take care of themselves right there's community built within certain cultures where everybody takes care of each other everybody is the child or the auntie or the uncle or the parent of another. And it's those things that we've disrupted as a country. When you go right back to the, we've disrupted that flow of taking care at the level that is really integrated and have created a whole nother system that is now trying to catch up back to that, which I, the ironic thing is I do see signals in the bigger structures of saying, oh, wow, look, Indigenous communities actually know how to take care of each other. We just, we've disrupted that. How do we come back to it? It's a real struggle of not having created the systems of capitalism, not having created the systems that these this country was founded on and having to live and navigate through it. So you are absolutely right. Don't disrupt children. Take the parents out, give them the help they need, bring in the services, that wraparound idea, that, that idea of you bring people in versus take them out, especially creating that fixed place for a young person, it's not conceptually out of the realm of possibility to think of it. It's difficult and costly to think about how you actually execute on that. But this, the ideas are right there. And you you said it straight, straight away that the system doesn't take into account some of what we already know how to do as human beings. And if I'll tell you, if, if indigenous communities and, you know, I've seen lots of examples in any way indigenous comes to comes to be or how anyone would define that there's a system and a model in place that we would be as a whole very better for if we were leaning into that yeah yeah i mean i agree with you i mean i know that we need a system because i know that there are kids who who, who you know i have two of my kids who were severely abused. And, you know, that is, you know, just, that's just not acceptable. But I also have two kids who should have never, should have never been put in the system. You know, I think that, and even though, by the way, 
I am beyond honored to be their father. And I am, it's the most precious gift in the world. But the more I get to know their life story, because by the way, when you're an adoptive parent out of foster care, they do not tell you everything. You know, the reports that they are, they write in is not always the exact what it is. And the more that we've dug into this journey that you helped open the door for, the more I've realized that my gosh, you know, this is just not acceptable, you know, and, and that's painful for an adoptive parent to say that. Well, talk about forgiveness. You mentioned that earlier. And because we didn't create the system of capitalism, racism, all the things that fuel some of the really the hard parts of foster care and adoption and, and family structure in this country, we have to, on some level, one, they have to recognize that these systems exist and they can't be you know, fundamentally opposed to the reality that that has impacted their ability to parent, number one. Number two, when the lights go on sometimes for folks, they realize that systems have impacted their ability to parent and that they're not always right or there's issues with them and they feel extremely guilty and ashamed. And that activates them so much that I always pull them back and say, look, you didn't create the system. You didn't create, you didn't create this. You are a part of it now. Your lights are turned on. Let's go get the therapy, act on forgiveness of yourself so that you don't become so chaotic in your whole holding of this, that you're not operating at your highest level. I've, I've had story after story of, of moms and dads and, and caretakers, like feeling this heavy weight of guilt. And then things get worse for them and their child. I'm like, no, no, no. You can realize some hard things and then you can find a way through it right. and, and not perpetuate these, these ills of a system that is meant to caretake children and families. So it's really, really hard. It's another level of being human. It's right. another level of understanding systems. It's another level of working on relationships that I don't, again, I don't know anything else that's harder not to, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a badge. It's just true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, since, you know, we've spoken, my, my husband and I, we have adopted our fifth child and we adopted a young boy at the age of 18. He had been in the system, you know, on and off, on and off, on and off. In 18, he was, you know, with his foster parents and was going to age out. And and I met him. We fell in love with him. And my husband and I, you know, after months and months, my kids were like, that's their brother. And so we've now, he's now a sophomore in, in college. But the reason I bring this up is because... You know, I never, ever, you know, it was, it wasn't that we were like adopting him. It was like, here's your forever family. You can, and he actually came to us and said, you know, mind you, he was 20. And he said, would you adopt me? And I was like, you're 20 years old. And he was like, I just want the same last name as my, my brothers and my sister. You have that type of feeling too, where kids want that belonging. They want to feel that belonging. 1000%. It speaks so much to so many things, but you know, we know what we want and what we need as human beings. And even at early stages of our life, and when someone is coming to a potential parent or, or a longer term relationship and saying, Hey, I want this. It's, it's really powerful. And also you know, like the both end of everything, it's also so 
why why until 20 did this why did this have to wait till 20 right. you know why i mean i do a lot of work at schools and i'll talk about the different kinds of adoption i'll say does anybody know what adult adoption in is adult adoption is and there's so many hands that go up and is it something when you get adopted as an adult yes but what does that mean and the, and these young people are like wait whoa 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 18 and they haven't had a a yeah. family life like like i had it it's such um it's such a hard concept for young people to understand because everybody ought to have a family that is enfolding them. And when it didn't happen, the, the young people I've been around who don't, don't know this are just so confused that that could even happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And let me tell you something. I really, you know, doing an adult adoption was something I never thought about. And, you know, but, you know, it's just, it has amazed me just to see how a piece of paper, you know, has truly built a confidence level. And, you know, let me tell you, April, we have a lot of more work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And we have so much that still needs to be done. But do you feel like the, the needle is moving at all? Yes, I do. I resisted being involved in any kind of bigger system change projects. I was, you know, I, I was part of the Donaldson Adoption Institute. I, I ran that for a while. So the research and the policy piece was fine, but really engaging with, with projects that were from the you know the children's bureau i resisted it because i wasn't sure if i if i if i could if i if i really but then i thought if not me then who if i want change in a system so to that end there've been several projects that i've been a part of and one that i'm a part of right now called the quality improvement center on engaging children and youth and that is the qicey it's a it's a multi-year project and that to me and the approach that's been taken there and the work that's being done there are pilot sites now they're looking at like redefining what youth engagement is, I see those types of things as closing the gap a bit. And, and so, yeah, I, I do feel I, I'm always hopeful. I really have to be or else I, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the mornings. So I'm always hopeful. And I do see some signals that things are happening. And mostly it's because people like you, people like me, the, the most importantly, you know, the youth of today that have their voice and that their voices are lifted up and people are listening to them and understanding more, I'm going to remain hopeful and pray that these changes that you and I both know need to be made can happen. Wow. Wow. Well, listen up, everybody. She said it. It's hope. It's hope. And the fact is, is we can never give up hope. April, I will tell you, having conversations with you stimulates me every single time. And we can't wait a year to do this. You know, I'd love for us to touch base again in about six months and let's see how much more that needle has, you know, because I truly do believe that when you educate your community of a problem, okay, and by the way, you know, foster care is a problem, it's a pandemic. And then when you educate them, they truly will step up and we can all see the change. Listen, everybody, please visit my friend juneinaprilcom You know, this is the reason I do this podcast. You know, I, I say it quite often, you know, maybe this is it, but you know what? It's not it. 
because these are the type of stories and talks and conversations we all should be having. We all should be having for change. April, thank you, my dear friend. I love you so much. And thank you for always being so supportive of our podcast and our community. And until next time, everybody, continue to be a good human. Take care. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.